We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Big Blue Banter podcast with myself and my co-host, Nick Turchin. We're here to bring you the latest in New York Giants football. As always, we're going to break down the All-22 film from the Giants' most recent game and then use that and other All-22 and everything we've kind of reviewed up until this point to preview the next game. We're also going to talk a little state of the Giants. Um, obviously, very, very, very disappointing first six games for the Giants at 1-5. and five. Uh, <laughs> The Giants came off arguably their worst loss of the season. I mean, it's pretty obviously their worst loss of the season against the Philadelphia Eagles at home. Game got away from them early, and they're just not a team right now that can come back when playing from behind. Um, and it's really led to a lot of unpleasantries on Giants Twitter, not between myself and everyone, just in general. It seems like Giants Twitter really wants things to go black and white here. Either you're, the fe- you're an Eli Manning apologist or you are an Eli Manning hater, it appears. And there seems to be no... Nothing else going on with this 53-man football team other than the quarterback, Eli Manning. And that, to me, is just really jumped the shark. Um, I think that we need to be focusing on a lot of other things regarding this 53-man football team than just the quarterback, while at the same time recognizing that, you know, quarterback play is the difference in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers' team, aside from a few players on that offensive line, maybe Devontae Adams and maybe a few of the defensive players, that he does not have much talent on that Packers team. And he is a horrible coach, in my opinion, with a bad offensive scheme and Mike McCarthy. And yet that team's 3-2-1. and one. The Giants have the best running back in football, arguably. I mean, <laughs> let's not go that far, maybe, but one of the best, pretty much, considering how poor the Giants off of the line has been in the run blocking department. And they're 1-5, and he's putting up record numbers. So in the end, as I talked about before the draft, this is why the Giants had to take the quarterback when they had the chance. Hindsight 2020, maybe, or... You know, maybe we'll just wait and see what happens. But that's where I'm at right now. Nick, where are you at? How are you doing today? 
Uh, I want to apologize in advance for my kind of cyborg-like emotion or lack of emotion to the Giants' poor play. Uh, I still love doing this, and for me, there's still a lot of good football to pick at. So although I may be harsh or whatever, it's really just because there's bad football. It's not because I <laughs> love or hate anyone or like you're saying or want to compete in Twitter shouting matches uh, for who's better or worse in some of these cases. It's pretty bad all around, uh, but happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. We're still going to bring you everything we've brought you in the past. We're going to have more coming. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of Giants future talk going forward on this podcast, um, especially the week of the bye, where we'll kind of have a show that really looks to recap what we've seen so far through the first, I don't know, seven games it'll be at that point, or eight games, I believe, at that point, and then kind of look into the future. Um, and obviously, if any changes happen at the quarterback position with Eli Manning, we'll dive into that. But for now, we're going to dive into the All-22 review of the Giants' loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I want to start this one off by talking to Nick a little bit about the cloud coverages. We've seen that a lot on Giants' Twitter this week. Um, cloud coverages used to stop Odo Beckham Jr. That was the Eagles' plan with their personnel going into the game at the cornerback and safety position. Um, when you look at the next-gen route chart for Odell Beckham in that game, he really didn't run many vertical routes at all. Um, he saw more snaps in the slot, but the Giants are not running him vertical routes out of the slot. So, you know, what's going on with Odell Beckham Jr.? Are we going to blame this on Eli Manning? Are we going to blame this on Odell Beckham Jr.? We're going to give credit to the Eagles for some kind of novel strategy. Is that, and I'm not saying that's the case because we're we'll find out soon from Nick. But Or are we going to just simply blame the play calling with Pat Shermer? Where do you stand here, Nick? I think it's going to be it's going to push towards the execution uh, on this front. Um, you know, they they were playing uh, to, to start the game off. They're playing a lot of single high, which what the Eagles would expect. But when Dan describes that cloud coverage, it's basically where the deep safety kind of rotates over to the lone X ISO side, or really wherever Odell Beckham was, and kind of in you know, layman's terms, double teams him. Um, you know, a, a very astute listener asked me on Twitter, what does that mean to the backside? The backside, they, it means it's, it, there's usually going to be somebody open uh, to be kind of sim simplistic about it. So hitting the backside was kind of the key. That became that that went way overboard in terms of what the Eagles were doing when Sidney Jones went down. Uh, he's their slot corner, very good slot corner. When he had to leave the game uh, for injury, they really moved into a lot of cover six type structures with, with straight cover two and different variations on one side and a straight cover four on the other side. And, um, you know, then that became to the point where it was pretty obvious what to do. There was kind of a little mystery uh, in the post-snap world. And um, it was just it, it wasn't executed is the bottom line. I think, you know, there was, really wasn't a whole lot of other surprises besides that. You know, the front played as expected. There were some unclean pockets. There were some whiffs on Fletcher Cox and all that type of all those types of things. But overall, there were, there were definitely opportunities there uh, that, that just weren't hit on. Yeah, I mean, going into this game, Nick, one of the things we talked about on the preview was the Eagles personnel in the secondary. Now in this game, we saw Russell Douglas, who had been playing cornerback for them for the most part, had to shift over to safety. And that was something we talked about, the injuries for the Eagles at safety. What we talked about was the Giants stepping up and having an offensive game plan, a plan of attack that actually attacked the weaknesses of the opposing defense, something we wanted to see against New Orleans. We didn't see it. Um, and really throughout the entire season, I don't think we've seen it. Why, you know, I think good coaches in the NFL attack the biggest weaknesses on the defense. I don't want to blame this on Pat Shermer if you think that, you know, part of this is is Eli Manning not reading the defense right, not seeing, you know, what's available. But I want to ask you, is this 
an issue that you think is some some sort of a long term issue for Shermer as the play caller of the New York Giants, or you know, do you want to shoulder more of the blame on Eli? I think at this point, uh, if you had to evaluate the quarterback play, especially over the last three weeks, if they, if you're going from the vantage of vantage point of does the does can the quarterback execute the plan as as given based upon what the defense has provided, and then can he add value to that plan, which is kind of like the basis of almost how you'd want to scout a player. You know, he, his grade would be very, very low. Um, so Pat Shermer is kind of coming over as advertised with a simple complexity to his game and and a lot of half field reads that are, you know, that do that do that, that are very simplistic for the quarterback. So it's pretty it's pretty easy and straightforward. There's not a lot of complexity here. Um, I think it has to go to Eli. I think it has to go to Eli and the lack of separation too. again show the show this week. You know, when they when they when the Eagles ran a lot of man teams are not afraid to run man coverage against the Giants. And so that that has to be capitalized on, and there were throws that were missed um, for both the quarterback's fault and the wide receiver. So it's it's not it's not to say the blame game is purely there, but the cold analysis is that you know like there are opportunities here, and you could bring in another head coach and you could have another set of play calls. But guess what? Like you still have to deal with you know Tampa two. You still have to deal with you know cover three cloud coverage that type of thing. I think you kind of sum up where I'm at at this point as well, Nick. While I don't think it's black and white, and as black and white as Giants Twitter likes to seem to make it. It's not all on quarterback Eli Manning, but at the same time, he's not elevating the team with his level of play. He's not pretty much playing up to his $22.2 million salary cap hit. And when you do allocate $22.2 million of your limited salary cap to a quarterback or to any one position, especially the quarterback position, you need him to elevate that level of play. In general, in the NFL, winning franchises over the course of time, recent, especially recently, recent NFL history, have developed a level of consistency with strong play at the quarterback position. I know there are anomalies. I know there are outliers. Denver Broncos with Peyton Manning in his final run. The Baltimore Ravens. There are teams that have kind of bucked this trend, but if you're not getting that level of play at the quarterback position, it's very hard to win in the NFL. And while I don't, while I do want to put some of this blame, not only on Eli Manning, but Pat Shermer, while Shermer's scheme and what he's asking to do may be basic and cut and dry for the quarterback, I'm not sure that mean, that necessarily means it's the right plan of attack. I'm not sure that necessarily means it's what you want to see from an offensive scheme. And I'm just going to dive right into this real quick. I plan to get this a little bit later, Nick, to a little, I'll get to this a little bit later, Nick. But for me, I want to bring up to you something that I think has been flawed about the Giants offense from the very start of the 2018 season. And I want you to kind of pick it apart and tell me why I'm wrong or maybe why there's holes in this plan. For me – this offense from the very start of this season, knowing what we know now about Eli Manning, based on some of the signs we've seen from Eli Manning last season, and I know he had the injuries at receiver, and I know he had the poor offensive line play, and I know he had Ben Mack to deal with. But based on what we've seen from the All-22 and everything like that, I think this offense should have run through Saquon Barkley from day one and every week. I think there should be no game that goes by without him getting 25 to 35 combined targets and rushing attempts per game. That could mean 10 targets and 20 carries, or that could mean 15 carries and 15 targets, something in that range. It had This offense is not running through Saquon Barkley. Now, if you run this offense through Saquon Barkley, you're going to get more diversive in your personnel. You're going to see more 21, and I know they have a new fullback in there who really hasn't played much fullback at the NFL level and just joined the team. I know that's not easy. I know they've had injuries at, at tight ends. They can't always use the 12 personnel you got scott simonson and garrett dickerson as your number one number two tight ends like they had 
week six against the Eagles. But at the same time, I do believe that there are different ways to get Saquon Barkley the football on swing passes, on arrow routes, on, you know, vertical routes. We saw Kareem Hunt run a vertical route the other day against the Patriots. It was wide open against the cover. There are different ways to get Barkley the ball, but I think if you had committed, I think if this offense had committed to running through Saquon Barkley like the Cowboys do with Ezekiel Elliott, like the Jaguars do with Leonard Fournette when he's healthy, even though they don't utilize him that much in the passing game, something the Giants clearly can do with Barkley, I think it would have made things a lot easier for a quarterback like Manning at this stage of his career. I think it would have opened up more things for a wide receiver like Odell Beckham at this, uh, uh, you know, within how the Giants are just in general. Um, what do you think about that? And why can't the why couldn't the Giants simply have just run this offense through Saquon Barkley and let it open up via that? I think that's a, think that's a good, good question from the perspective that it doesn't have to be the running game. Um, I did a massive deep dive for the red zone offense uh, for inside the pile, and it just hit today. And I charted all every red zone play, and um, <laughs> for the red zone plays that go to Sa- Saquon Barkley that run on the, on the rushing side of the house, um, there's 16 runs. Ten of those runs are inside zone or duo. His yards per carry is 1.9, and that includes a 15 yard rush. They their goal of being a multiple or multi-pronged run attack from the beginning part of the season is absolutely not there. And I don't think that's to blame coaches. I think it's to blame because they don't have the horses that can do it. So I think that takes the rushing side of the house and that gets him less rushes effectively. Um, when we're talking about Barkley's production and how you're going to get him, like quite frankly, I don't think giving Saquon Barkley the ball 20 times in this current state, and this is across the board, <laughs> like, you know, I think one of the other things I was thinking too is as, as I watched the tape again for this week is guys like Nate Solder, like he may end up being a right tackle for this team very soon. You know, there is, they're, they're just, they're not getting any, they're, they're, it's, they're not linking any, they're not, they're not a good offense on the rushing side of the, of the ball. And so in terms of though, your, your, your point, which is right, that maybe getting him many, many more touches, I think in the red zone, and that was, a, it's kind of one spoiler killer for my piece. That was kind of part of what I thought on the rushing game and the screen game. And believe it or not, the screen game in the far red zone can be very effective as well. But to back it up for the whole offense, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I expected to see a few more arrow routes. Um, you know, you look at guys like, like Riddick in Detroit. You look at guys like Alvin Kamara. Those are guys that, that Barkley can play like and you can mimic his type of his type of thing, um, you know, or his type of his, tra- his type of trade. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. Whether that opens up specifically things for the wide receivers, yes, and I mean it's not it's not no. I would say that if you have an athlete like Saquon Barkley and you can get him on a safety for the majority of the game, you want that matchup one hundred and ten percent. So whether it comes in the run or whether it comes in fifteen targets, yeah, I, I think that's something where. And but that's effectively what they do with the quote unquote checkdown game, is 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 basically give him the ball in a clear out concept with everyone else going down the field. I think the the the, the balance is is varying those looks more so to your point to varying those looks more so to 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 basically give him more time and space other than just a checkdown. And here's what I'll say to that, Nick. I totally understand your point. Um, obviously, this running game is not working right now. The blocking is terrible up front they're not you know they're not getting it done and he's not running well behind the blocking as well at times too which we've gone over but at the same time you have a new blocking scheme you have a running back who comes to the nfl from a very different blocking scheme a behind of running behind a very different offensive scheme in general in state and is it a scenario where maybe if you give him more opportunities to run the football 
the plays will work better just based on simple the simple logic of you're practicing them more, you're executing them more, you're going to get better at them. And while at the same time, you're giving the offensive linemen more opportunities to, st- to step forward, to run, to run block instead of dropping back in a pass protection. And while at the same time you're doing that, maybe, just maybe, you're pulling the defense, or, or I'm sorry, you're forcing the defense to kind of start to defend Barkley the way they defend Odell Beckham Jr. Instead of, you know, dropping into zone and collapsing and rallying to the football when they try to clear out and dump down to him in the check down game or, you know, various things like that, the way they're trying to defend Barkley now. Is it, would it certainly, would it definitely, because to me, it seems like a scenario where if they had committed to Barkley and they'd given this run game more opportunities and if, or if they started to do it moving forward and, and in the passing game as well with the arrow routes, like we talked about and the field routes and isolation routes. But if they do that, Will the defense start to play the Giants differently, and how will that not open things up? In my opinion, is my question for you. And then at the same time, how will it not make it easier, not just Eli Manning for any quarterback back there, when the defense, when the Giants are, you know, committing so much to one player that the defense can't just pin their ears back and and, and guess pass, and you know they can't just play these cloud coverages over Odell Beckham Jr. and those type of things. Uh, the only reason why I think it wouldn't change is because. If you have a running back threat, one of the best ways to combat that is zone coverage because everyone's looking in the backfield. If you go to man, that's where it gets more dangerous because everyone because you're basically relying on the front seven. And, and that front seven becomes front six if you're running 11 personnel. It's so the whole goal is spread. And so the, whole, the, whole, the, the only thing I would say that's a little off about that is that Beckham, or sorry, uh, Barkley's best runs or, almost, or very frequently used run was inside zone at, at Penn State. You're seeing the same thing here. Um, I think that until the, the quality of execution and not even just outside the outside, the offensive line in these runs that I'm talking about with inside zone and duo, the tight ends are almost like the most important piece of this, whether it's the backside of inside zone to the weak side or the front side of duo. Um, and those blocks are not there. And it's not just Evan Ingram. It's across the board. That's the thing. It, like people think Ellison's a great guy, I'm sure, but he's he's he. The clip that I have in my piece of Julius Peppers and the club move that he throws on Ellison, he almost throws him to the ground. You know, there 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 there's some holes here, and and it means that everyone has to get better, whether it's this personnel or new personnel. So I don't know if it's going to be if I don't think it would really change that much. What you would specifically for other wide receivers, I think what you would get is you would get in different personnel packages, you would get a bona fide more of a bona fide. Um, threat from 12 from 12 personnel and and that type of thing but I think the varied looks are more important like and once one stat that I'm leaving out of this or one point that I'm leaving out of this is the Giants have yet to run outside zone with pin pull scheme on the edge which is nuts because they ran that a lot in uh, Sherman ran that a lot with Minnesota there has to be some reason for that um they're just reason is for that uh I don't know and so Tony Sperano was that was the was the offensive line coach in, in Minnesota, and the more and more Pat Shermer's time kind of gets evaluated there. Obviously, a lot a lot of credit goes to him. Um, I don't know why they can't run this here, other than poor tight end blocking, or they're not confident. I don't know what they're not confident in. Um, you know, well, and be I, fair, they've had injuries at tight end with both Ingram and Ellison. Correct, but you could use split ends too. You could use you could use yeah. wide receivers. You could use eleven personnel and do bunch formations like the like the way the Rams do it. There's there's certain things where they're you know they were running outside zone in the boundary earlier in the year and then it just kind of stopped and now it's been one thing and it's 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 above my head to be honest and it's it's I think it's a, we have incomplete information as to why there's not more variant. But until there until that happens, what I was thinking was, you know, 
like one of the best ways out for this rushing attack would be like a zone read kicker attached to these runs. Like that would make the defense defend something else and change the look. Because if you're not going to change the look right now, you have to do something else or execute better. It's, 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 it's that simple. Interesting. Well, if you're going to have that, you probably can't do it with Eli Manning. I, I assume is that where you're getting at? Yeah. And that's where I don't want to like say that, but yeah, like I'm just trying to think of how, like how else, if you're going to stick with running, in between the tackles as you are and you don't have a new new personnel okay well how can you make the window dressing more maybe more jet motion outside of that that's another option which they use right. but, but everyone else uses it like all the time um you know more misdirection maybe but again we're not privy in the room as to why they're not doing that now currently right and you know what you know fans might get a chance to see kyle oletta sooner than they expect i mean if this team falls to the falcons this week um I would even be at that point ready to do it. But, you know, if they lose to the Redskins and the Falcons, there's no reason at one and seven why this team shouldn't give Willetta the second half of the season. I mean, I get it. Last year was tough for Giants fans who have been attached to Eli Manning, and I totally understand it. The way they went about it was wrong. Uh, it was a very stupid, terrible execution. There are so many ways in New York that you can control the message uh, via the media. And, you know, Ben McAdoo decided to, right before practice, tell Manning his, his ridiculous plan to play Eli for the first half of the games and then turn to Geno Smith. Um, clearly, Manning didn't take it well, and the news broke on Twitter, and it went from there. But the fact of the matter is, even a lot of those majority of those Giants fans will tell you, they didn't really hate the idea of looking to a rookie quarterback like Davis Webb at the time last season. They hated the execution of the plan. So I think if they go about this in the right way, they can get Kyle Loretta in there. And, and we'll move forward and talk about that more as it happens, Nick. But mm. I want to talk about one more thing before we, we shift over to the defense side of the ball. I want to know if you're still in the defense circle uh, of Patrick, <laughs> giant starting right guard, who I think from another review of the All-22, every time I watch the tape, I, except for one game, I see this guy making missing blocks all the time all over the place. I do not think he's, he's a good player in the NFL. I don't think he's a good fit in the scheme uh they're gonna have to take some dead cap if they want to immediately cut him next offseason which would suck but i'm starting to lean toward that's the ultimate goal for that's the ultimate scenario i can see playing out i i talk me off the ledge with omame i think it's you know it's 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 he's as advertised but the weaknesses have not improved that you know when i when i defended him we highlighted it's like hey like his contact balance is pretty bad and hey, like, you know, when he gets off balance, it, it goes really south quickly. You know, I think that when I think where the expectation comes in, where it's off is that is because of his salary number and that's outside of his yeah. football. So I think that's where if you're saying, is he playing up to the salary number? I absolutely get that. And I totally get if they want to, you know, basically improve in the situation. But like when you look at his snaps against Cox and like Cox smoked him on a few of them. And I'm not, it's not an, it's not an apologist, but like it, that's going to happen. So he's, he's not, if, if they thought for paying what it was 15 million over three years, yes. they thought that they were getting the guy that was going to stop Cox. I think every bit of tape would have told you that's not the case. <laughs> so that's where it's like, if you, if you need to upgrade because you want that guard to reach block, like they're often asking him to do in zone runs, then I don't think he's the rope right profile player either. Right. So that is true. That, for that exactly. That's exactly right, Nick. He's just not a good fit for what they're asking him to do, which makes no sense as to why they signed him. When I was there at camp this year, he was the most imposing lineman on the entire team except for Flowers. Like he's a big dude. He looks like he should fit. He could fit maybe another another, <laughs> but maybe not this one. And if that's the case, what was the 
what was the reason for bringing him in? Did Gettleman think he saw something on the limited game tape that he watched that said, oh, wait, 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 maybe we found a real gem and all we have to do is pay $15 million over three? Because that's the only thing that's starting to make any sense to me with the whole the more I watch him. I think they're starting – I think they're still finding – I guess when I'm critiquing the, the running game, I should give it back more. I still think that they're finding their identity. And to the point of do they want to be a zone team or a gap team or right. both and multiple. And when they go to zone, all they got guys that, that have some gaping holes. And, yeah, and you refer to the, the – or you allude to the get-off-the-bus factor. His get-off-the-bus factor is awesome. And But if you're not running power all the time and, – and, again, he's good in combo blocks but inconsistent. So, yep. you know, if you're, if you're doing, if, you, if you're, if you're asking him though, to do more than that in, in a lot of other capacities, I don't, I don't know. And then it gets into, you know, like you see John Greco when he goes, when he runs downfield, that guy is an angry man, you yeah. know, like putting guys on the back. He has play strength issues though. So like all these guys have this push pull of, of positive traits and negative traits. And so it's just, I think it's a matter of aligning all that. And maybe that doesn't mean he stays here ultimately. I think there is a spot for him in this league. Um, for sure, but you know, if you're going to continue to be a multiple run game with a big tilt to zone running, yeah, it's 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 a tough spot for him. For sure, and we'll move on to the defense on that note. But I just one more thing. I just find it so unbelievably amazing how hard it is in the NFL to fix your offensive line. The Giants poured so many resources into the line this offseason. They signed a guard for 15 million over three years. They made a tackle, the highest paid left tackle in the NFL, offensive tackle in the NFL, and then they took another guard and third offensive lineman. With, with the number 34 over pick, and yet the offensive line still sucks right now. It can't block in the run game at all. It barely wins in the passing game. You know, Sometimes it's okay. And looking forward, there's really only one player on this line that fans, or I would say just ourselves, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'll tell you there's one player on this line that I'm confident is going to be a member of this team five years from now, and that's Will Hernandez. Are you confident that any of these other players are going to be a member of this roster? Yes, and that's and that's kind of the point. And it's not it's a problem that money doesn't answer. Yes, money cannot fix the offensive line in the NFL. The offensive line, it's a supply and demand issue, right? I think so, but I would I would also go back though, I would take a step back for a quick second and just say that you have to commit to drafting and free agent signing and always getting better. And yes. the bottom line is that the camp the camp the camp competition was not there. Yes. Right. And so and that I know that doesn't happen right away. Right. But yeah. what you need to see is you need to see next camp a lot better. And then it gets more, then it gets better and better. And the other thing is not, but not to stay on the Eagles, but to look at that offensive line, that was an offensive line that won a Super Bowl and was seemed to be one of the best ones in the league that now has a lot of question marks too. Yeah. And so it's, it's very, it swings very harshly in the NFL, but yeah, the overall talent needs to be upticked from everybody. And like I said, I think it really means like, yeah, Solder, if he's, if he, if he plays out his contract, I think he's going to end up on the right side. You know, I think you're overall going to see big constant upgrades going forward. Yeah. And you know what? You're right about that because you look at it and Gettleman has over the course of his career as a general manager of the, of the Panthers has done what Jerry Reese never did. Okay. So giants past general manager, Jerry Reese. We wonder why the offensive line is so bad right now. And you said it best. There's just not enough competition. There's just not a, enough of a constant flow via the draft, mostly because free agency is, is just nothing. There's just very rarely good free agent offensive linemen. But via the draft, there wasn't enough of a flow. I mean, Jerry Reese had 11 drafts with the Giants and spent a, a, a rounds one through four pick. We're ruling out rounds five through seven because who cares about those rounds, honestly? They don't really produce starters most of the time. But in rounds one through four, he drafted an offensive lineman seven times in 11 drafts. That's just not a recipe for success at the NFL level. It's just not. And 
Obviously, Gettleman's going to try to fix that moving forward, but it just amazes me that I'm looking at this line. They poured all those offseason resources into it, and there's only one guy I'm confident in. But we'll move on to the defense. Uh, another talking point of Giants Twitter that I didn't notice on All-22, and we'll see if you saw it, Nick, is that the defense quit in this game. That's what I keep seeing. The defense quit <laughs> against the Eagles. I didn't see it. Did you see it, Nick? No, they, that third quarter, that first third quarter drive, I know people are frustrated, so I'm not trying to go, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's so simple. Of course they didn't. But they're um, on the running plays in that, in that drive, if people are wondering, I believe Snacks Harrison was off the field for a few of those. And yep. that, that just kind of gets into this is what the defense will look like without that guy on the field, which is a little scary. Um, and as well, there was a third down play there to me that really spoke in terms of guys get hats getting to helmets. And, you know, you didn't see people staring at plays from afar. You know, you had guys making mistakes, but then coming back the next play. You know, I, I really I wouldn't question anyone, anyone there. And, and even if you if people want to question like Janoris Jenkins on the touchdown, on the actual touchdown for the third down drive, like he's looking at the play a little bit. It's his man. But I just I, I it's a, it may have looked that way. And I think it's influenced by. And I'll say it. I would say it to his face. I think it's influenced by Troy Aikman really kind of grinding an axe at that point of the game right. um, towards the overall effort. And I think that that jades people's interpretation of the broadcast game because it's going on, right? And you have all this emotion, and, and it sucks that it happens on a Thursday night game. But it just it wasn't there on the All-22, and I really think they, they, just, they were just beat, and that's okay. That happens. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I saw it, too. I mean, the, basically, I wrote the biggest difference in this game to me was Carson Wentz. The guy – makes plays off script with his, his first touch on the red zone was unbelievable. Right. I mean, yeah. that watching that on all 22 was insane. The anticipation of the throw, the breaking free of the pocket after off script. I mean, it was just all around an incredible play um, that I think they just got beaten this game. Like you just said, Nick, but I did notice one noticeable difference that I wanted to talk about. Um, and that was the impact of the return of Olivier Vernon, who mm-hmm. I don't think is fully healthy, but I think he's closer than he was last season when he returned from his high ankle sprain a lot closer um you know jason peters is playing hurt the eagles left tackle it's pretty clear it's pretty obvious now i mean even before the, he, he suffered a torn biceps against the giants and he's going to continue playing through which is nuts but even before that game i think he was hurt honestly he was on their injury report every week he played but he didn't you know he doesn't look the same as he normally does or maybe he's just getting a step older a, a step slower in his age but vernon really manhandled him i thought he had six combined quarterback hurries uh, pressures and hit or hurries, hits and sacks. He had a sack. Um, could have had more. Uh, do you think that the addition of Vernon moving forward is really going to change? I mean, there's two. There's two ways to look at this, right, Nick? So one, I was so I was so excited to watch this happening with Vernon. But two, it reminded me of how bad this Giants pass rush has been without. I mean, you look around the NFL. That was the first game where the Giants were consistently getting pressure, and and it was affecting plays. So. I don't know. I guess I'll ask you two things. One, did you see the same kind of impact as I did for Vernon? And then two, you know, is a pass rush as much of a need as I'm making it out to be moving forward when you're reshaping the franchise uh, in this offseason? Yeah, I answer and going back, we're definitely on the second part of that. And getting it consistently is is what the defense is still or where the defense is still finding their identity. And I mean, coordinator and um, and team, uh, you know, um, uh, Betcher has a lot of arrows in his quiver. He's got a lot of tools in the toolbox. They run everything. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to break down on the All-22, or at least fun for me. I'm a massive nerd. But 
I think in doing that effectively week in and week out, that's where that's that's going to take a little bit of time. And so I, but I absolutely think 100% that's important for them going forward. And then definitely saw the impact from from Vernon, even much so much so where like I think he was actually I think when you just get better competitors around, it makes your other competitors play well too. Meaning like guys like you know, Martin getting downfield and 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 doing well against the injured you know right tackle Lane Johnson there too. So like you saw that you saw a bit of a surge. The only thing I would note is the play action stymied them a little bit like play action normally does um and so that's where i think the pass rush went away so when people think like oh maybe you know i, I didn't see them again getting back to the quitting part i don't i didn't see them quit at all i didn't see them stop rushing i didn't see them become less effective i, I saw the eagles win a little bit in terms of their of what they were doing in terms of slowing that down naturally through play action so but besides that i think it's it's going to be a big deal and i think it I don't mean to sound harsh, but I do think it's a big deal for Vernon to get production if the Giants choose to be a seller of um, of assets at the end of the season. And again, I think he's done nothing but play very hard when he's had the chance in terms of in terms of Vernon. But it's one of those things where they need him to play well um, for a lot of reasons this year. Yeah, I mean, look, just kind of taking a, a thirty thousand foot view moving forward with Vernon, I'm on the camp of keeping him. I think he's been very unlucky with the injuries. Um, and I think that finding pass rushers like him in the NFL is a lot harder than people who realize yeah, yeah. the Giants paid him so much money. And then when you just look at it from a cap standpoint, it's going to be a lot easier for the Giants to move on from him after the 2019 season rather than this 2018 season. Based on a cap standpoint, there will be a lot less dead money tied to it, uh, tied to the decision to move on from him. So I think it's highly unlikely they're going to cut him. That's just my personal opinion on the situation. Now, can they be persuaded by a trade? Sure. I mean, they traded Jason Pierre-Paul for a third-round pick, and I love that deal. Um, I don't know if i definitely do that with Vernon. I probably still would, though, just because I'm just such a big believer in getting those rookie contracts and just the value. I mean, B.J. Hill at, at 800 for the against the cap for the next three years after this one is going to be a freaking bargain and one of the people you build your – team around but you know we'll revisit that as it gets closer uh did you have anything else you wanted to talk about on the defense before we go into a falcons preview no no i think you know like you said it was just one of those scenarios where they got kind of they got they they got i mean the one stat i just think people have to realize is there was one drive from the eagles own territory that resulted in a score in the first half right every other drive like and i'm not trying it's not, it's not being it's not giving them an excuse but it's just like dude you're not going to stop a lot of guys with when you when you set yourself up like that, it's just it's very tough. Yep, it's true. Um, all right, let's let's go into the Atlanta Falcons preview. There's still our Giants games to play, even at one and five. Um, and this is a winnable game, in my opinion, by the way. But we'll get into that later. But start with an injury rundown. This is going to be the first time all season where the Giants are the less of the lesser of the two injured teams going into the game. Uh, that could be said about any week. The Giants played the Falcons this year. The Falcons have been snake bitten by injuries um to an incredible extent it's actually watching the monday night football game the packers versus versus the the 49ers and whoever was announcing i guess uh, one of the two wasn't winning was talking about how the 49ers are the most injured team in the nfl which is just total crap yeah they lost garoppolo but <laughs> no one's dealing with injuries worse than this falcons team anyway on the giants front so the falcons will be without Devonte freeman uh their star running back he's out for the year or he's on ir he might come back they're going to be without their kicker, Matt Bryant, the former Giant. Um, obviously, they had all those injuries in the secondaries. Those players aren't coming back. And they might be without Calvin Ridley, their star rookie receiver. So they're definitely banged up heading into this one. On the Giants' side of the ball, everyone practiced today on Thursday. Uh, some were limited. Vernon was limited. He has a new ribs injury, but he said he's going to play. Uh, Ellison and Ingram, full participants. 
Um, so the Giants, excuse me, are getting really close to full health. And that's why I've been telling people on Twitter, you know, stop talking like it's a shoe and the Giants are going to have the opportunity to draft Justin Herbert, even if they do decide Justin Herbert is the guy, the Oregon quarterback, because this Giants team is going to win some games down the stretch. I'm pretty sure of it, actually. Um, they're not very injured, um, and they football's a week-to-week game, and they, they competed in every game but this one. It's not like last year's team that was blown out in multiple games, in my opinion. So we'll talk about that later, obviously, as we move forward. But as far as that goes on the injury front, like I said, they're going to be as healthy as they've ever been. So, Nick, what can you tell me about the Falcons' offense? And is it going to give the Giants' defense trouble like the Eagles did? Is it going to be a game where simply, you know, they're just going to get beat on the defensive side of the ball? Or can they have an answer for this Falcons' offense? Nick, you there? Sorry about that. I had the mute on. Apologies. That was my first time First time I've done that this year. Yeah, it's actually our first matchup. So <laughs> very cool. No, um, so they the offense basically on the we I think as fans we kind of remember the Falcons' offense as one that you know the, the outside zone rushing into play action basically the Kyle Shanahan version that Steve Sarkeesian took over basically bumbled through last year. Um, it's a little bit different than that this year. Uh, their rushing attack, the offensive line is not really in the best state um, across the board, not just from injury backups type standpoint. Guys, you know, starters are not playing as well. So a little bit of issues there. The running game is not as 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 feared as I would say as, as previous games. So I think the Giants actually match up well there. Um, one guy to keep an eye on, running back Ito Smith, 5'9", 195 pounds, kind of a shifty change of pace back for them. Rookie out of Southern Miss. Um, this guy is the type of guy who can win a fight in a, fit, in a, a fist fight in a phone booth, but he could also kind of wiggle out and all of a sudden you wouldn't know where he was. He's very, very slippery, but he doesn't have the perimeter speed. So the perimeter speed when they run outside zone comes from uh, it's from from well-known Tevin Coleman, one of the best guys in the game for doing that. So that kind of gets into the rushing side of the house. And I think that the Giants are okay overall uh, here because the the schemes that they run are stuff that they, they're going to really see most of the year. A lot of um, a lot of fullback lead type runs is a, little, a fair amount of misdirection. Where the wild card comes in is Matt Ryan. And I studied three games for them this year, kind of in depth. In one game, he was he basically couldn't hit the backside of a house. The other, the other game, the most recent game against Tampa Bay, he was very, very sharp. Um, so when he, he's the type of player, I think guys know that you know when he has time, he can do what he does. But I think his, his timing even looks better this year when he's right. But when he's wrong, it, it was very, very wrong. Um, and so uh, on the on the passing side of the, of the house, I think that it's they run a little bit. They definitely run a varied scheme um, comparatively to what they were running in the last two years. Just, I see more. I see different types of route combinations. You know, so I, I definitely see, think Sarkeesian is coaching for his job and, and doing a pretty good job of it, despite their record, um, despite the fact that they have well, haven't really you know, they haven't really won a lot of games and they've looked good okay in the Tampa Bay game. But besides that, you know, it's been kind of tough and. Um, I just think that in general, you're going to have a team that needs wins too because guys are competing for their jobs. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, there are weaknesses on this Falcons offense. I mean, as you mentioned, and looking at it, they're two gu- the guard play of Fusco and I believe the other guy's name is what is it? Schwe- what was it again? Schweitzer? Schweitzer, yeah. He's a tackle moved into the guard position. Yes. So there are two guards are playing bad football. I mean, if there's ever a game the Giants can get interior defensive pressure in the pass rush game, it has to be this one now. That doesn't mean they'll do it. Um, I'd love to see Vernon get some snaps at the three tech in some, you know, in some third and long passing down situations. We'll see if it happens, but obviously they haven't been able to get much, much of a push from their other guys, you know, 
playing on the interior. But if there's a game to do it, there is. This is the one. I mean, they have that as a, as a definite weakness. I agree with you. The loss of Freeman, just meaning more snaps for Edo Smith, is not necessarily a weakness. This Edo Smith kid is, is legit. Um, hopefully you guys can scoop him up on your fantasy football waiver wires. If he hasn't already been scooped, he probably has. Um, but, yeah, so I think this, this you know, they can attack this offense with their pass rush and with their de- with their defensive front overall. But I don't think it's going to be an easy task for them by any means, especially at home in the Dome. But on the flip side of things, you know, is this a game where the Giants offense can finally open this up like they did a little bit against Carolina when they scored 31 and score some points? Yeah, I think that this the, the, they're a banged up cover three structure that plays the pretty simplistic. A lot of, um, although they play a fair amount of man, mostly landmark zone cover three. And so I, I, I know I sound like a broken heart or a broken record, but uh, this I, I continue to think that this is this is on the Giants unit, not anything necessarily that you know the wrinkles that they're going to face that are going to stymie them. Um, and so in terms of, in terms of our profile, yeah, Dan, you know. Dan makes a good point. Is it similar to Carolina? Sure. Uh, I think Carolina plays a little bit more too high. Um, and I'm imagining this because I haven't studied the defense that closely this year, to, to, be, to be fair. Um, but I would, I would, you know, they're definitely much more they're closer to, to Jacksonville in terms of the amount and the type of, of offenses, of, of, of coverage you will see. Um, and, you know, without with the injuries that they have to the linebacker position and to the safety position, those are key, key spots in this defense. And it's just, it's, I almost say, it's, I almost feel bad for them in this in this environment because without those two, two two spots there are are big holes um so yeah i definitely think they can um and i think too you know from a protection standpoint maybe that's this is the week where you see a you see it's just a little easier for the offensive line in general yeah and i i agree with that actually especially if if you're profiling the way you said because the giants offense actually found decent amount of success in my opinion i know that didn't totally read it against the jaguars defense um in week one uh, moving on, we'll, we'll move on now to some questions from the fans. Um, so if you guys are out there and listening, listening every week, do, do us a favor, throw us more questions our way because we love this part of the show the best, answering your questions. Didn't get as many this week, but keep them coming. I know it'll. I know it's a downtime for the Giants right now at 1-5 and five in their regular season, but there will be talking points. There will be things to talk about. It's going to be a busy offseason again. But we'll start with Anthony Parisi who asks, what do you think of Schumer's offensive scheme and what do you think – the offensive coordinator Mike Shula brings to the table. So, um, as I've seen and read, and kind of it checks out in the tape, um, I would definitely say that Trimmer's offensive scheme is as advertised. Uh, you know, simple complexity with I don't want to say basic, but just simple half field reads for the quarterback in the, in the drop back game to 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 basically pick a side and go for what he wants to do. I would say you know maybe not as many screens as I thought. And I think that may have to do with Eli Manning's footwork and not necessarily being able to deliver a screen in the, in the best way. Um, you know, so maybe I, that's actually, that's the one thing that I, I will say I, I did, I, do, I did think they would throw more screens yeah. uh, this year. Um, and what is this, what does Shula bring to the table? And not to answer the question that quickly, but just to kind of get to the second part of the question to help answer the whole overall, overall question. Um, he is, if Shermer does the play calling, or not if he does the play calling, Shula does a lot of the other play design. And so where you see that poke its head up, um, I know people don't really like this, um, but when you see the two or wide receiver offset stack looks on the wide side of the field, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an RPO, but that look is very Shula. And they run a lot of, in Carolina, they ran a lot of smoke routes, a lot of a lot of different types of screens. That type of, that type of influence is definitely Shula. 
Um, I would say the jailbreak screen, which every team is running like out the ass this year, that's definitely a Shula thing. Um, what we're what I'm still kind of waiting to get kind of kind of confirmation on is usually a coaching staff, and especially one coming from the Andy Reid kind of tree, um, would break the uh, would break the play calling duties or the play design up between multiple offensive coaches so there'll be one guy responsible for the third game the third down uh game there'll be one there's a run game coordinator there's a red zone game coordinator usually and so still wondering who's doing those specific roles i can guess between where what i think i think Shermer's the down and i think shul is the red zone um but that's kind of how they divvy it up and it's so it's origination from shula and then kind of choice and execution from from Shermer. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's basically what I've seen as well. I mean, that's what I've read as well, Nick. So that's kind of what, and as far as what I think of this team, I'm a little harsher on it than Nick is. I get what he's saying. You know, it's what it's as advertised. But personally, I was the way it was advertised to me is that Shermer's offense was ever changing and it was designed to to be less rigid and fit, you know, and focus on the player's skill sets more instead of um, you know, using things that we've seen in the past from Shermer. And I just Personally, like I said, in the, like I said earlier on the podcast, I don't think this is the best style of offense for the Giants. I think this offense should run through Saquon Barkley and take more shot, you know, take and basically let everything come to them from that style of offense. But you know, when the run blocking is this bad, it's hard for me to make that argument. So I totally get it. Um, moving on though, uh, Benji asks, I think Saquon Barkley, or he says, I think Saquon Barkley is the leader, the future leader of this team, face the franchise after Eli Manning. What do you guys think? I mean, no question. Absolutely no question. Um, says all the right things. You'll, you'll get hit. You'll get hit hard if you say absolutely no question like that, Nick, on Twitter. <laughs> you something, can't. I, something I said, and apparently it's it's a controversial topic. Like it, it amazes me the defense that Odell Beckham Jr. gets, and I love Odell Beckham as a player too. Um, but. <laughs> When when Saquon Barkley is a rookie, it has to calm down Beckham on the sideline. I mean, that's one thing. But another thing is just you listen to Barkley, and it's always we, we, we. It's always team, team, team. With Beckham, there seems to be some team in there for sure. I mean, if winning, if you, they were winning, things would be better. But there is also the, you know, I don't know if my quarterback play is good. I see other receivers getting 20 targets a game which is not true, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, if I'm being schemed open. I think they're scheming me out of games, and we're not figuring out a way to stop that, which I actually think is true. I think he has got a good point there. I know me and you disagree a little bit on that with Shermer. But, you know, the point is there's a lot of me there versus a lot of we with Barkley. So, yeah, I, I want to hear what you say about this, Nick. But for me, it's it's no question as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's – you know, you want to build a team around a guy. I get there's the whole issue with the length, uh, you know, the, the length of career for running back. Uh, this has nothing to do with me validating, giving validity to this, to taking the taking number two overall. It doesn't matter. He's here. He's the guy you want. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I really think it's just kind of the tip here because you're going to get different types of weapons. You're going to get a better offensive line. And I mean, ultimately, you're going to have a different team probably in 18 months, right? Like a really different team. And you're going to have this guy being kind of the face, like, okay, fine, let's go win. Like that, I'll take that all day. Yep. Um, all right. David Pickney asked, this is a good one. You're going to like this one, Nick. <laughs> he says, Loletta, period. Will he be successful? Won't he be successful? Tell us why. Ooh. Interesting way to put it there. I like the, I like that the, the structure of that question. He will be successful because of his attention to detail and technician 
as a both a pocket and non-pocket passer, so a passer in general, I guess you could say, um, where he will be put in situations, I'll throw a caveat on top of that, where he's put in situations that that cater to his strengths of being able to, to throw on in, in anticipation and throw in and execute a rhythm kind of passing game, passing attack. He won't be successful if if he I'll say this, if if the pressure if if the pressure is such where he has to complete multiple balls down the te- down the field over 15 yards and i don't necessarily just mean like a coriel type structure or system where that's done more often um, it's just as well to within a game if he's part of a team that is constantly trailing i think you know i think that type of he doesn't necessarily have that type of game but the other side of it too with his mobility i think is kind of interesting because he's an athlete so and he's comes from multiple different schematic backgrounds. He had four different offensive coordinators in five years at um, at Richmond. That helps him too. Um, and just one last thing, second part: why he won't be successful is just in general the ability to to for the play speed to reach a high level at the NFL. And that's the big, that has to be the biggest difference between the FCS and the NFL. And so far, it's, he's checked those boxes, but you know the very, very, very limited sample size. Yeah, I'll jump in there too on this one, Nick. Um, I wouldn't put as much stock as some Giants fans seem to be putting in his preseason performance. I know he didn't get the deep balls there in that fourth game, but that was one game, guys. Um, you know, I don't want to hang his career in the balance on uh, one preseason game. Um, will he be successful? For me, it's because he moves through his reads really quick. He gets the ball out of his hands really quick. He processes things really quick. So that, to me, is a really important trait for a quarterback. Now – I, what I've worried about with Valletta is what I'll always worry about with Valletta. Can he throw through the wind and the weather conditions in December in MetLife Stadium, in January in MetLife Stadium, if the Giants are lucky enough to make it that far? Um, I don't know if he has that kind of arm arm talent or arm strength, I guess it would be. Um, I don't know how important that is to Shermer's system because, look, Shermer almost made a Super Bowl with Case Keenum in that offensive system, who to me – you know, who Loletta draws some comparisons to, and I could see it. I could totally see it with Loletta's impressive athleticism. He really is an impressive athlete. Um, he can be used in a lot of ways that, that Keenum was, was used in. And I think he can complete balls down the field. I just think it's what you said, Nick. It's when more so when the defenses aren't expecting it and a little bit off script, right? Um, so, or at least that's how I see it. So to me, I see him as a fit for not only Shermer's scheme, but I think he can be successful quarterback. I am in no way writing him off like I wrote off Davis Webb. Like I pretty much wrote off Davis Webb. I mean, dating back to the day they drafted Webb and then the ensuing time until, you know, every every day after that, I wrote him off. I didn't like Webb on game tape at Cal versus where I did like Loletta. Obviously, like Nick said, it was against D2 competition. Um, But, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with this with this Nick. I think he can kind of serve in that Keenum role. And as we've seen now this season, I mean, Case Keenum has been terrible with the Denver Broncos outside of that Schirmer scheme. So, you know, there are some quarterbacks who are good fits for, for what an offensive play caller and what an offensive designer wants to do. And I think Loretta could certainly be that. And the other thing, too, just to add a quick point to yours, because you, you hit on it in the fourth game of the preseason, it's funny looking back on it for what we know now. We know now that, or we were told that they were basically going to cut Webb, right? Because <laughs> they cut Webb 48 hours later. 
And I think watching that tape back again, I think Shermer was kind of, I don't want to say screwing with him with Loletta, but the play calling situationally, he, 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 Loletta made mistakes and Shermer came right back to deep balls. And, and I swear to God, I, if I, if I could ask this question to him, I would, I don't think he would ever, you know, kind of get him in a room with truth serum, you know, maybe he'll give her the answer, but I think that Shermer was basically testing his quarterback to see what happens when things go really bad and to see what his, his floor was like at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, here's the thing. The Giants are going to be in the market almost no matter what for a quarterback in this right. NFL draft. Even if they don't end up with the pick, top pick to get a Justin Herbert type, if he is ends up being the guy or that we or that I, that everyone or that anyone at the Giants, I should say, has evaluated as the number one. Uh, and if they even if they do end up with maybe having one quarterback they think is worth taking that high or two or three, depending on what they decide, after looking at this class, and I'm just going to give you guys an early sign for me. I don't really like anyone yet but Herbert. I mean, I'm going to keep looking. I don't like Daniel Jones. I'll tell you that. And he's he's starting to move up as maybe the number two. And obviously, I haven't been through my whole process, but, you know, I, it is what it is. But anyway, no matter what, they're going to have to consider it. So it really doesn't make sense for this team once they fall out of the playoff contention to not put in Loletta. You've got to see what he's capable of. You have to see – if the if if the if you know he provides you with the luxury of waiting until the twenty twenty draft, or if you know you got to get moving on this quarterback situation, you got to get someone. So we'll see with that moving forward. I know we diverged a little bit from the question, so we'll jump back into into the questions here. Uh, Matt asks, "What do you make of the Derek Carr to the Giants rumors?" Uh no, I can't speak to if they if they're actually the, the validity. No, no, I, don't answer the validity. Just yeah, 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 yeah. No, I was getting getting back to the Giants should trade for Derek Carr. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll ask the question differently. Yeah, and what I would say very simply is, if for some reason Derek Carr was Pat Shermer's guy or Mike Shula's guy, and they've thought about this and they game plan this, there's all this information that we don't have. Like the behind the room, they're thinking, "Hey, we're waiting for the for waiting for uh, you know Gruden to totally tank the Raiders, like many people thought he would, and then we'll buy him." Then uh, then I get it, but based upon the information we have now, I do not think the Giants should be buyers of assets on any level. It just doesn't make sense. There's too many holes. You need picks. You need money. You need all these things. You should be seller of assets. And I don't even just mean that just because of the record. You know, like in general, they how else are you going to fix the team? You could maybe buy more wins. And by the way, we figured out in the offensive line that's not how it works. So why try to do it here? Um, unless if he was somehow insanely the guy that you wanted. Yes, the way I see it's a little different, Nick. So I don't know if I if I clarified this. The the rumor or the report is is was started from uh, Jason Lockenfora, the CBS Sports NFL insider, who said, you know, I it's not uh, he didn't report it as he's hearing this. He said it makes a lot of sense, and I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna make a bold prediction that the Giants will trade for Derek Carr at the combine this February. Got it. Okay. Now, of course, no, <laughs> you can't in the NFL. It's against the rules to trade at the combine at that point. The league year hasn't started yet, so that is one flaw in this, but. I'm going to say this, Nick. I actually disagree with you. I think if they did have a chance at somebody who they totally believe could be the guy at quarterback, you get him no matter what. That's just how I've always viewed football. I always believe that the quarterback is the most important position by by light years. It's by time even really close. Uh, and I've seen quarterbacks do a lot with a little a lot of times. Right now I'm seeing it with Aaron Rodgers somehow getting that Packers team 3-2, and two, which I had 3-2-1. I just don't even understand how it's possible. Uh, but – 
to me, my issue with this is that Derek Carr is not the guy. Okay, he's, he's not the guy. He has a seven. He's the highest yards per attempt average of his career is seven point oh. He's done it twice in his two good years. This he is one of the lowest yards per attempt average of all starters in the NFL over the past five years or and whatever since whenever he entered the NFL. And I'm a big believer that yards of attempt is a really important metric when you when you when you evaluate quarterbacks. You can you know debate that with me another time, Nick. <laughs> you don't agree with that, but I think it's a great sign of somebody who's you know, who's either playing the position well or not. Um, I've actually heard Mike Lombardi talk about how that's something that he used to evaluate and that, that when he was in the Patriots front office, something that they focused on. Um, but in, in addition to that, he's never really been good except for the 2015 and 2016 when, go figure, poor football focus gave the Raiders offensive line elite grades. I'm not saying they were the 10th or 15th in that range of offensive line. They were the second or third best offensive line in each of those seasons. And that's the only time he was ever successful. Guess what he's not going to get with the Giants? A top three offensive line next year, the year after. We just went over the offensive line in depth in this episode. That's not happening. And in addition to all that, he would come to the Giants with a $22.3 million cap hit. And that's only going to grow over time. We We have that right now with Eli Manning. We have a middling quarterback who's getting paid a lot of money. Why in the hell would the Giants want? I get it. He's younger. Younger doesn't mean better. It really doesn't in this case. I've watched Derek Carr enough. Um, so for me, I'm a hard no on Derek Carr. I would be devastated as, as, a, as somebody who covers this team. If, if I had to cover this decision, this franchise-altering move, which in my opinion would bury them in a deeper hole, and they've ever been for the reasons that Nick talked about before about giving up assets uh, for somebody. So, so yeah, that that's my piece on the Derek Carr thing. Do you have anything else you want to add there, Nick? Negative. You uh, you you nailed it. I like it. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. Benji asks the second question from Benji, and I and I appreciate. It. I love it. Like I said, guys, get your questions in. Tell us on Twitter. We want to do this questions. If you ask multiple questions, we'll answer them. That's what we're going to do right now. So get them in. Benji asks for the second question. Also, what is – it's actually a two-part question, Nick. But we got <laughs> I like it. Also, what is the solution to Eli's mental processing? I think he's just shell-shocked and not willing to take a hit just to complete a pass. Uh, is he – and then the second part of this question is, is he coming off his reads too quick? So, so you tackle this one first, Nick. So uh, uh, <laughs> as I grumble, the first part of the question, I don't know uh, in terms of his, what's the solution. I, I, uh, I don't think the game plan can become simpler, and I don't think the Giants can run fewer plays. I think the Giants are actually a part of the playbook where they need to run more plays at this stage in terms of if you're self-scouting after five to four to five to six weeks and what you put on tape. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it, that's a question for Eli. It's like, you know, in terms of what's on head, of course, he's not going to really kind of talk about that. I think it's, um, I think it's a confidence issue. Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's in general, just <clears throat> the ability to, I'll actually say, I'll answer it this way, um, which is kind of gives another background. I think teams right now, I think the NFL is very harshly in teams, defense and teams in terms of scouting tendencies, just exploit your, your weaknesses. And I think teams are doing everything they possibly can from the post, from the snap to after the snap to absolutely screw with Eli Manning, whether it's buzzing a safety down, whether it's, you know, blitzing from spots. It's not even blitzing. It's, it's more just changing the coverage and making it look different than it did before 
well, and the, and the Eagles really did that to a T. Is that is that some something you can't get around? Absolutely not. Um, so, but I don't know how to get it better. Uh, in terms of is he coming off his reads too quick? I think it's a mixture of both. In some cases, he's sticking on his his reads too long. I would you know just sticking with the red zone because I just I just finished that piece. There are multiple times where he's holding on to that first read too long, yep. and when he comes to that second read and it's on the same side of the field and it's the answer. He's not. His footwork doesn't drive him to then throw the ball. Where it's almost like he's almost not even thinking. He's he's almost automatically releasing as he comes into that next hitch. You're not seeing that. Um, so I think it's it's an overall ability to execute, you know, a timing and rhythm passing game that is just you know falling short in multiple multiple ways. Completely agree with Nick on this one. I think that, and this to me is the biggest reason why the team has to move on from Eli Manning this offseason. Um, a part of that reason is obviously the fact that. You know, they can save $17.5 million in salary cash by releasing him. Um, but, yeah, this is the biggest issue right now with Eli Manning. And I don't know what's happened and why this is happening. I think Nick brings up a really interesting point. I think it is a lot of a, conf- a lot of confidence issue with Manning. Um, and with all quarterbacks in the NFL who play confidently, you know. And like Nick said, you know, defense coordinators are scheming to really make things difficult for who Eli Manning is as a quarterback. But guess what? They do that against every quarterback they play, and it's up to the quarterback to get around that. And at this stage of his career, the situation as it is with this Giants team, um, he's not getting around it. And like Nick said, there are times that I've seen as well in All-22 where he's not getting to the – basically, like as Nick says, half field three, he's sticking on the one half of the field when other things are opening up in the other half of the field with the other reads. And like Nick said, by the time he's getting around to those, he's just his footwork's not there um, in the throw. And like Nick said, it's not a quick, it's not quick enough for him. Um, so there are tons of issues when it comes to that. If you really broke it all down. Uh, one, one last thing, just to interject because you, you made, you triggered my memory for it. Um, it, it hits on the second or the meat of this, of the second part of the question. I don't think he's shell shocked. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, you know, I don't think it's because he doesn't have the, you know, the stones to stay in the pocket. I don't think it's any of that. I think, and, I, and, and the, what I would cite is for fans this week to watch Matt Ryan in the pocket. It's Matt Ryan isn't any more of a man because he stands in the pocket, but his footwork allows him to stay on schedule where he has the confidence to, to hang in there because he knows that in a beat and a half, the ball's out. I think Manning's footwork isn't there and that allow that makes him want to do other things for whatever reason. I don't think it's a, a willingness to stay in. I think it's a roadmap to get there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And, not, and I haven't heard that before, so I like that one not a lot, Nick. On that note, we're going to do predictions and then sign off for today's podcast. Um, I'll start with the predictions. I think that this Giants team is just not a winning team. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. They don't do things that winning teams do. They make so many mistakes on special teams. They they put themselves in a horrible field position every game, as Nick talked about. You know, Or actually, me and Nick talked about this off the podcast, like where we're trying to figure out what went wrong with the defense. And honestly, the Eagles started – incredible field position on offense the entire first half what a recipe for disaster for an opposing de- for your own defense um so i think this team will lose this game i actually do think they'll put up some points against the falcons if they don't put up points against the falcons then you know you might as well really just <laughs> you need some changes on this offense and it might and it's probably the quarterback position with Kyle, with anybody tanny or Lillette if, if they don't put up points on this defense but i think they will i think they're going to lose this game the giants 31 to 17 the falcons will get the win how about you nick I don't know if I'm just a blatant optimist, but it's hard for me to <laughs> to say they're automatic. They're, it's hard to me for to, against a structure that Manning should succeed on, despite all that I've written 
and, and I say all that I've written, but just like I feel like I've just beaten the dead horse in terms of who he is as a quarterback. I, I want to believe that he can, and I want to believe that he can win this game 27 to 17 because, you know, it, his job's really on the line at this point. And I'll stay the, the, the optimist, and maybe it's not the best way to think, but it is what it is. And I do think that against this, against these structures, against this decimated secondary, I think you can call it that. Um, you know, I know he faced one last week, but I think that, you know, ultimately they can they can find a way in a spotlight to win here. Yeah, and Atlanta's front is not going to be like the giant the front Giants faced last week with the Eagles. Vic Beasley's not having a good season for them, and he's their top pass rusher. Um, he also, also profiles a different kind of style of pass rusher anyway than what they've been struggling with the Giants. Um, but on that note, we're going to sign it off a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, what's it called? House cleaning first. Um, if you guys want to find more of our stuff, you can follow us both on Twitter. Um, Nick, throw, throw out your Twitter handle here and where we can find the rest of your work. Uh, Team Manic 21 on Twitter. Um, I've been doing not so much this week, but trying to get more involved on the Reddit side of things. So a lot of posts on Reddit. Most of my work is over at cover1.net. Uh, the other parts of my work are over at insidethepilot.com. Um, and uh, really, that's uh, that's it for me. Yeah, and you guys can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier, NFL, D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R, NFL. You can find all my work on the CBS Sports app. Just download the CBS Sports app, go to your favorite teams, put in the Giants, put on alerts, and you'll get only the good stuff. Otherwise, you can find any of it on 247sports.com backslash New York Giants. Um, and as well to all of that, please do us the favor and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy it. Tell your friends if they enjoy it to subscribe to it. The subscribes and the downloads are really what help us out um, the most. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And on that note, we'll end it, we'll end it up with a classic. Go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.